Let's take our Bibles tonight. We're going to turn over the book of Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. <clears throat> the message today is probably nothing new. It'll be something that you'll be like, wow, I've probably heard something like this before, and you probably have a number of times through your Christian lives if you've been saved for any time at all. If not, maybe this will be the first time you've heard something like this. But I just think uh, in the day and the times in which we live, we need to be reminded consistently, always, that we win. I just think that's important. And so let's begin in Revelation chapter 20. <clears throat> We're going to begin in verse 7. We're going to read through verse 10, all right? And uh, the Bible says there in Revelation chapter 20, verse 7, And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, oh, I was getting nervous there for a minute. Wasn't that many weeks ago. I had a heart attack up here almost. <clears throat> but it was uh, just a little before this in chapter 19 that we read about and read about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, the judgment seat has already taken place, and you and I as believers will come back with the Lord Jesus Christ and... Um, Hold on one second, let me look at something. Okay, so far so good. Okay. And uh, we're going to return with the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and uh, we're going to uh, see Armageddon take place, and God's going to speak again, and his enemies will fall at his feet, so to speak. The thousand-year millennium will kick off, and Satan, for that thousand years, will be bound in his prison, and the false prophet and the beast will be placed uh, in the lake of fire. And then we have that thousand-year millennium where Christ is ruling and reigning on the throne of David. And what a wonderful time that'll be. But then at the end of that thousand years, we now come to this place after the thousand years. When that has expired, we see that Satan's going to be loosed again. He's going to gather up all of those that have rebellious hearts again toward God, which will be the majority again. 
And they will then seek to annihilate and to destroy the holy city as well as all of God's people. But in the end, we see here that we win. That's what we find. We win. I want you to turn now to Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. Revelation chapter 21. And let's look at verses 1 through 4. I really like these passages. The Bible says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. Boy, in these passages that we have read already tonight, we learn a most valuable piece of information. We win. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we ask, Lord, that you'd speak to us over these next few moments. May our hearts just be encouraged tonight. Lord, we are grateful for what you've done in our lives and we look forward to what you will do. We also know, Lord, that there are opposing forces that seek to undermine your word and undermine your purpose and plan. We ask that tonight our hearts would be encouraged to realize and recognize that no matter how dark, how grim it may seem, we win. Lord, help us. We need you now tonight. Pray for your filling and ask, Lord, that you would just encourage us from your word. In Christ's name, amen. Now, in the political and social climate in which we live, Honestly, it can become very discouraging and even depressing as a believer in Christ. It would seem that evil is swallowing up good and that right is being replaced with wrong. Turn to Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. We have to be careful that we don't become so short-sighted that we lose sight that there is a tomorrow, but also that we don't fail to remember there was a past. And may I say that this trend that we see in our America or this nation in which we live is not something new. It's happened before. And if the Lord tarries His coming, it will happen again. Notice what he says in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. And again, the prophet is speaking because there is a problem already. And he says in chapter 5, verse 20 of the book of Isaiah, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. May I say there were those in that day that were doing just that. The prophet addresses it because it is a problem. Woe unto them that call 
evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And again, what he's really saying is when they're replacing good with bad and bad with good and things are all mixed up and messed up, when they're calling good evil and evil good and all of that, I mean, it's just... I mean, you can't hardly wrap our minds around the verse, but the truth is, it's happening today like it happened then. Again, be careful, because if we're, not, if we're not careful, we find ourselves believing somehow that, boy, this has never happened before. We stand all alone in history. We are just a people that are being oppressed, and we're going to find ourselves in a battle like no other. My friend, there have been so many battles fought before us, and there will be so many battles fought after we are one piece, one, one, one spoke in the wheel. And may I say that God has always proven himself faithful in every generation, and he will not stop being faithful in ours. He goes on to say in verse 21, Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine, and men of strength to mingle strong drink, which justify the wicked for reward, and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. Wow, those are some strong statements. Powerful statements. As we survey the Word of God, we are reminded over and over again how destructive this Twisted philosophy and practices to any people and any nation in any generation. Anytime we are saying that good is evil and evil is good, we got a problem on our hands. And boy, do we have a problem. Israel had been granted, I mean, just a wonderful land in which to dwell. God had supernaturally provided for them in that land. He had blessed them tremendously along the way. But as we know from reading the Bible, their faith would be tested, and that faith would be found very shallow. Their devotion to God would be diminished to the point that they ultimately forsook Him and embraced false gods. <clears throat> it's hard to imagine leaving the God of the cre creation for a God made of stone or wood. And yet that is exactly what transpired and took place with God's people in the Old Testament. Turn if you would to Jeremiah chapter 11 verse 10. We are not immune to this tendencies. We we are quite capable of creating or not creating but falling into the same trap as they did. <clears throat> It's easy to feel like the weight of the world's on our shoulders. It's to feel as though there's only a dark cloud above us. But again, we can never forget who we serve. In Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 10 and 11, <clears throat> we read the prophet saying, "There They are turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers, which refused to hear my words, and they went after other gods to serve them, 
the house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant which I made with their fathers. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon them which they shall not be able to escape, and though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. We see evidence of that in the nation of Israel to this very day. But notice again that they turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers. Generational sin. Falling back into the same trap that they had dug out of at some point. Boy, as a believer, how important is it that we remember that we have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, that we are new creatures in Christ Jesus, that the past has no hold on us any longer, that we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. The result of their rebellion, their disobedience was Assyrian and Babylonian captivity. And, you know, that just reminds us again that rebellion and disobedience always lead to bondage. Doesn't matter what age we are, doesn't matter where we're at in life, rebellion and disobedience always leads to bondage. We often say God's the God of second chances. The problem with that? Few take him up on his offer and instead they remain bound by sin. It's easy. We say, well, I'll just live my life. I'll take God up on a second chance down the road. I'll go ahead and dismiss God for the time being or, or his word for a while. I'll go sow a few wild oats or I'll take a trip down my own desires and my own way and I'll go ahead and follow through with all of that. The problem is most people never get out of it. Oh, we hear about a few that do, and boy, we say, well, see, there you go. That's proof positive. God's the God of second chances. It is, but that doesn't tell you the other hundred that never got out of sin, that are still bound by it today, where drugs and alcohol and immorality continue to just disintegrate their character, their moral fiber, their being. We don't see them. We don't talk about that much. We just talk about those exceptions to the rule, which the exception is digging out of sin. <clears throat> you say, boy, this has been encouraging so far. Well, it gets worse before it gets better, but then it gets good. From reading and studying history, we are all too familiar with the fate of those nations that forget God. In the book of uh, Psalm, chapter 9, verse 17, turn there, would you? See, the thing is that the devil wants you to believe that it's hopeless. It's not hopeless. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not one of those that believes that every teenager has to get out in the world and get bit before they come back and do something for God. See, I don't believe that junk. I believe that you can avoid all that mess that your parents went through, your grandparents had to deal with. You don't have to go out and enjoy sin for a while so you can understand what it's like. You can bypass all of the consequences of sin. See, just because I look good to you doesn't mean that sin hasn't had an impact in my life. And I look real good to you. Amen. And the fact is, is that mom and dad in the same light, you say, well, they're doing fine. Things are going great for them. Yeah, what you see and what is isn't always the case. And they may be warring with something from their past that you will never, ever know about. And you think, well, the sin won't hurt me and my a lifestyle of, of, of unbelief would be okay and uh, living immoral will 
work out fine? I'm telling you, it won't work out, especially for a believer. <clears throat> because notice this about nations. He says in Psalm 9, verse 17, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. Well, I'll tell you what, you don't mess around with God and not have a consequence to pay. And again, I understand, and I'm not trying to equate the passage to modern day New Testament Christianity, but friend, as a nation, you don't turn your back on God without grave consequences. And we are looking at a nation today that is going to hell in a handbasket. The events over the last months have left so many of us numb and understandably concerned about our futures. If you're not concerned about the future of America and the children and grandchildren, my friend, you have closed your eyes or buried your head in the sand because there's a lot of reason to be concerned. As we contemplate health care and Social Security, the deficit, immigration, climate change, crime, just the many ills of our society. I think the most concerning thing in my mind is the deteriorating moral climate of our nation. We think of that landmark case of Engel and Vital in 1962 that seems like we always like to point back to it. I'm sure that there were problems already, but boy, it seems like things really escalated after 1962 when the court ruled that New York's practice of beginning school days with a prayer drafted by school officials violated the Establishment Clause. Problems. When Madeline Murray's lawsuit, Murray versus Curlett, led to a landmark Supreme Court ruling ending official Bible reading in American public schools in 1963, which contributed to the removal of compulsory Bible reading from the public schools of the United States. I'm telling you, we got problems. Prayer and the Word of God was removed. In 2005, a ruling from the Supreme Court sidestepped the Constitution and in turn ruled in favor of gay marriage. <clears throat> Recently, we've witnessed an attack on the home, marriage, Faith, an attack like never before, it seems. Our educational institutions have become indoctrination stations. My friend, let me tell you something. Schools aren't educating, they are indoctrinating. You better be real careful. You better think twice before sending your child to a public school. You say, why are you saying that? Because it is no place any longer for education. It is indoctrination. I'm telling you, you better be real careful with that one. You say, well, I just believe we need a light in the schools. Well, I'm going to tell you this much. Before that, you, you might be surprised that light might just get put out. Because I'm telling you what, they're teaching our children today that homosexuality, transgenderism, gender neutrality, all of this mess is common, normal, acceptable, and reasonable. And may I say that they are pushing it and pushing it. Everything in the system today, whether it's the schools, whether it's our, our, our media, whatever it is, is pushing an agenda that is so anti-Christ that we can hardly wrap our minds around it. It's unbelievable what we're seeing peddled as science and truth today. It's a joke. It's unbelievable. The unisex movement, gender-neutral pronouns, transgenderism, they become mainstream today. The so-called alternate lifestyles being promoted 
have been biblically and traditionally categorized, categorized as abominations up until now. And it wasn't that long ago. It was not that many years ago that it was a, it was a law on our books that homosexuality was against the law. And now not only is it against the law, but it's against the law for you to say you don't agree with it. I'm telling you what, we are in a mess today. We got issues. You say, I don't know about this stuff, man. I don't want to get too caught up. But let me tell you, it can be pretty discouraging for somebody that's a Christian that honestly believes the Bible's true and has to stand in this world in which we live. And you say, man, standing's going to be tough. I guess I'm getting a little bit concerned. I'm feeling a little bit of a burden. I feel like maybe we're on the wrong side of the coin. Let me tell you something. It does feel like that sometimes in the world in which we live. But friend, don't ever forget, we win. You combine all of this with a constant attack on God, creation, the Christian faith, and believers in general. I don't know about you, but it's hard not to just believe we're in a post-Christian nation. Or a Christian nation. I don't know. It feels a little bit like a post-Christian nation to me today. Oh, I know. We still claim Christianity. We still claim all, but we don't have the same Christianity we had about 40 years ago. Something's wrong. And sadly enough, even within the walls of our churches, our, 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 our memberships do not embrace the same standards and the same commitment and the same devotion and the same truths that we did in those days. What's changing? Is it the Bible? I don't think so. Is it the God that gave us the Bible? Don't think so. Then what's changing? Why is it that my attitude toward things is different than a preacher's 50 or 100 years ago? You say, well, you've been enlightened. Really? Or have I been indoctrinated? I've been saturated and desensitized to certain things. Made to believe that certain stuff is okay when it's not, maybe. Maybe good has become evil and evil has become good. Maybe that influence is affecting me. I just think one could become very easily discouraged and feel defeated in this spiritual and social climate we find ourselves in. But again, let's go back to Revelation 21, verse 1. We spend a lot of time, if we're not careful, talking about how bad it is. we get stuck on that one, it's going to be discouraging real quick. If what you get out there is the same thing you get in here, and what you get in here is the same thing you get out there, my friend, you ain't going to need to come here much longer. It'd be a bummer. Well, I'm going to go there and get refreshed. It's a terrible out there. God help us. Boy, we're going to feel like we're going under. Pretty soon you'll be like, man, the last thing I need to go is hear that preacher tell me how bad it is out there. I already knew that. That's why I went to church today, to hear how good it's supposed to be. Well, we're getting there. Here we go. Revelation 21, 1 through 4. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. You know who that represents? That's us. We're the bride. 
we're seen as a city in Scripture called New Jerusalem. You know who will occupy New Jerusalem in the future? You and I. The Jew will be on earth where they belong with Jerusalem. Filling the earth, we'll be enjoying New Jerusalem. The Gentile will be filling up those heavenlies. Planet after planet. Eternity. We win, friend. We win. It doesn't matter how dark it seems, and it doesn't matter how gloomy it may get. In the end, we're going to be up in New Jerusalem with our Lord, where Jesus Christ himself is the Lamb and he is the light. No more night there and no more locks and keys, no more bars on windows. We have to worry about crime. We don't have to worry about immorality. We don't have to worry about sin. We don't have to worry about someone coming and stealing our kids or stealing their moral character or taking them away. I'm telling you, one day we win. And in a sense, we've already won because it's as good as done. He says, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. We have a funeral on Friday for Miss Helen. Friday at 11 o'clock, right here at the church, Helen Schendeldecker. She passed away right before Thanksgiving. There'll be no more death, though, in there. No, no more death there. By the way, she's doing real well. She's doing real well. But you know what? Some of us, we're not doing as good. We're still dealing with the tears. We're still dealing with the pain and the sorrow, but not Helen. And one day, neither will you. You know why? Because we win. Goes on to say, He shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. So, we win. Okay. Let me give you just a couple quick reasons why we win. Number one, his person. Do you know he is God? He's God. The Bible tells us that he's Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the great I Am. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star, the fairest of 10,000 of my soul. He is altogether lovely. He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world, the only begotten of the Father, and the resurrection and the life. Jesus Christ, our God, He's wonderful, counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the captain of the Lord's host, and he is the author and finisher of our faith. He's the chief cornerstone, the good shepherd, the root of David, the Lord of glory. He's the word of God, the wisdom of God, the rose of Sharon, the hope of glory. He's the creator, master, mediator, Messiah, He's the rock, the vine, the door, and the redeemer. He's the bread of life, the living water, the light of the world, the son of righteousness. 
He's the faithful witness, the righteous judge, a sure foundation. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is Jesus Christ, the living word, God himself, and all in all. May I say, we win because of him. He is God. That's why we win. He's not like a false god, a god of wood or a god of gold or iron or stone. He hears and he helps and he heals. Unlike those lifeless lumps of, of, of lumps of matter called gods to the unsaved world. My friend, listen, God is alive and he is active in our lives today. In James chapter 2 verse 19, the Bible says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Even the devils know there's only one God. There's not a multiplicity of gods. Pantheism is not true or correct. There is one God, and it is Creator God. It's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who created all things. So we win. We're on the right side. We're on the right team. We follow the right blueprint. This is a game plan. My Ohio State Buckeyes lost. Yep, I think I could have done a better job coaching the defense than the guy did. Just going on the record. I think that's called armchair defensive coordinator. They didn't win yesterday. But we win. We do. His person. Romans chapter 8 verse 31 says, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Man, I know it's dark out there, and I know sometimes it seems that we're being overwhelmed with evil. I know that it seems that things aren't looking good or in our favor, but my friend, we win! Don't quit now. Don't give up. Don't turn tail and run. Keep going for God. We win. Man, I'll tell you what, it's easy for the devil to get us discouraged. But we can't let that happen. And we got to read the end of the book and know that we win. His person, but also his power. Turn just simply to Genesis 1-1. It's pretty simple. You got this power, you got all power. Look what it says in Genesis 1.1. You probably can quote it, can't you? We're watching our young people and adults alike in Christianity drop off into the abyss of unbelief. It's sad. It's disturbing. It's alarming. What's wrong? What's happening? Boy, there's a lot of things that contribute to it. But I'll tell you what, the pull of Satan is strong. We better be real careful that we are saturating our youngsters as well as each other with the truth. This coming year, we're going to have every single class in the Sunday school, adults all the way down to first grade, learning the same memory verse every week. So that, parent, you can learn your memory verse with your children. And that everybody's going to have a memory verse to learn. Everybody's going to hide God's word in their heart. Everybody's going to try to indoctrinate themselves in the truth. 
Man, if there is one thing we need more of, it's the Word of God. And I know all the excuses. I've heard them a million times, and I've tried to use a few. Well, I just don't memorize good anymore. I struggle with memorization. Yeah, well, if you don't hide it in your heart, the Lord will steal your faith out of it. You've got to get the word in your heart. And our children, we do them a disservice when we don't force them to learn their memory verses. When we don't make them learn their memory verses. They're going to face opposition like nobody's business. We throw devices in their hands, we throw them in the midst of the wolves, and then we say, fend for yourself. We don't even give them the tools to overcome temptation. How will a young man, the Bible says in the book of, turn over there real quick, Psalm chapter 11. No, Psalm 119, verse 11. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? Go ahead and look over there anyway because there's another verse that's really good. Psalm 119. Thy word, verse 11, have I hidden mine heart that I might not what? The psalmist says, first he says, verse 9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee, O let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. I got to believe that that psalmist probably loved the Lord at least as much as me or probably more. And yet he saw a need to memorize scripture to protect him from sin in his life. If I don't have a desire to learn scripture, maybe I don't have a desire to walk away from sin. Maybe I enjoy my sin to the point where I don't want to memorize something that will make me feel uncomfortable when I do sin. I'm just saying let's reverse this a little bit. If I hide the word in my heart so I don't sin against God, maybe I don't hide the word in my heart that I may sin against God. Someone says, that's not proper thinking. Then how come we don't have a desire to learn the word? What, what, what are we not, why don't we want to memorize scripture then? If we really want to avoid sin, there's the prescription. That's one major point in it. Parents, you will have the opportunity this year coming in 2022, to equip your children with the ability to overcome sin, and you yourself will have equal opportunity. And we'll have no excuse, because it won't be a mess, it'll all be the same, and you will know the scriptures a year in advance when I hand you 52 of them for the year. Because I believe that the word of God is that important in our lives in the year we live. Because you know what? We do win, but I'm telling you what, we better have faith, because we're going to have to stand in the midst of this mess we're in. It's not going to be easy along the way at times. We're going to need God's help. And by the way, he is able and he is capable of giving us the victory because he has great power. In the book of Genesis 1-1, you're already there. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. If he created the heavens and the earth, the heaven and the earth, my friend, he is big enough and strong enough to give us victory as believers. You just, man, I'm telling you, it's rough at work. Hey, wait a second. Who's on your side again? The creator. You don't understand my home. It's a mess. Uh, who's, who do you take with you into your home every day? The creator. I think you're going to be okay. You got the creator. 
You've got the one who created all things. You've got power. Uh, he has all power under heaven and above earth. He's got all power. We win. There's nobody has more power than God. We say those things. We just don't live like it. They become cliches to us. Greater is he than he that's in the world. And then trouble comes and we go, I don't know what to do. <laughs> Am I telling the truth? Yep. Folks, listen. Look, why do we pretend to be this, these spiritual giants that we say? We try to be spiritual giants. We're not spiritual giants. And can I tell you, the only way to become stronger in our faith is in the Word because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We're not going to find ourselves having victory in our lives as long as we neglect God's word. It ain't going to happen. I don't care how much you want victory. It'll never happen. Oh, we win. Praise God we win. That's why you got to stay in it. Don't quit on him now. Don't give up now. Don't throw in the towel now. We win. Man, we can't quit. He's all, he got all power. Think about that flood. It covered every mountain on the entire earth. Forty days of rain. Water came down and it came up and it covered the earth. It wasn't regional. It was worldwide. We think of that 185,000 Assyrians who were going to destroy Jerusalem. And yet, in one night, gone. Talk about power. We think of the walls of Jericho that stood until they fell. <laughs> Man, I mean, up to that point, it looked like it was an, in, in, uh, uh, there was no way they're going to get the victory. There is no way they're going to overcome this city. But they forgot the enemy forgot who was on their side. And just like until, that, until the flood came, they still thought they had hope. The enemy thought they still had Israel right where they wanted them until they blew those horns and those walls fell flat. And just like that, the odds changed. Hey, it looks like the odds are all against us right now. But just like that, They'll change. Why? Because of his person, because of his power, and finally, because of his promises. His promises. In Titus chapter 1, verse 2, the Bible says, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. He's not lying, he'll never lie. In Psalm 119, verse 160, the Bible says, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. <laughs> you, you don't take an eraser and get rid of this one. Doesn't work that way. Man, I mean, it's written in heaven. God's word is, as we say in the Old Testament, written in stone. But prior to that, it was already written in heaven. You can't take away from his word what he says he means and what he says he'll do. It's, it's, man, he promises that we win. On February 1942, 
during February 1942 as Japanese forces became increasingly um, overwhelming in the Philippines, President Roosevelt ordered Douglas MacArthur to relocate to Australia. So he did. He followed orders and he left. On March the 20th, 1942, just a month later, Douglas MacArthur made headlines with his now famous speech, I shall return. He promised to return to the Philippines and liberate the people, liberate the nation. It was said that the White House, they even urged him to amend his promise. He didn't. He declined to do so. He just wouldn't take it back. The next month, most of the defenses in the Philistines, uh, Philistines, <laughs> in the Philippines, whew, got the Bible in my mind, huh? That's pretty good. Most of the defenses in the Philippines, they finally fell to Japanese, to the Japanese. He spent the next two years plotting and working on the New, New Guinea campaign, which proved to be very difficult, but was a success in the end. But in July of 1944 in Hawaii, MacArthur pleaded with President Roosevelt about America's moral obligation to the Philippines. On the 20th of October, 1944, MacArthur arrived on the beach and gave this simple speech. People of the Philippines, I have returned. By the grace of Almighty God, our forces stand again on Philippine soil, soil consecrated in the blood of our two peoples. We have come dedicated and committed to the task of destroying every vestige of enemy control over your daily lives and of restoring upon a foundation of indestructible strength the liberties of your people. The speech would go on, but that was basically the whole in a nutshell. Even as General MacArthur promised to come back, to come back again and to liberate the people of the Philippines, and he did. So our captain of the faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, promises to return as well. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 14, verse 1. <clears throat> Sometimes it seems so far away to think about the millennium being completed and, man, no tears and so forth after that. But wait a second, long before that, we get victory. Long before that, we win. In John chapter 14, verse 1, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Let me just say, it may seem bleak, or even hopeless at times. Our backs may appear to be against the wall, and we may find ourselves between a rock and a hard place. But rest assured, we win. He is going to split that eastern sky. And if we're still alive and not already in His presence, we're going to be taken out of this place. And we are going to forever be with the Lord. My friend, I tell you, it's easy to get discouraged in a world that is considering 
that has consistently turned their back on God. And now it seems it's growing darker and darker every single day in which we live. But my friend, the light is still shining bright. And Jesus Christ is still on the throne. And we are more than conquerors. And we win. We win. As we come to the end of another turbulent and troublesome year, may we never forget, we win. Tough times are still ahead. But we win. I pulled out a tape the other day. And we just talked about the fact that the Buckeyes just lost this Saturday. But I have a tape that goes back to an Ohio State-Michigan game where Ohio State won 42-39. to It's interesting when you watch that game, there's a number of ups and downs, a lot of difficult situations that the team and the coaches face, a lot of emotion that seems to kind of come together in the midst of that game, but hold on. Doesn't it seem, it just doesn't seem to be as big a deal to me. You want to know why? Because I know who wins. I don't seem to lose my mind when a, someone fumbles. It doesn't seem to me if somebody drops the pun, it, 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 a turnover doesn't upset me at all because I know who wins. A bad call on the goal line, no big deal. Who cares? In the end, we win, right? Can I tell you as a believer, we're looking at all kind of plays being made in our world in which we live. And as believers, let's be careful that we don't sway with each one. Oh no, what's going to, oh no. Oh, that's going to be bad. Remember, we win. We win. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time that we've had together. And Lord, we just ask that you'd encourage us. Lord, there's no doubt that we can all look to things that we don't necessarily approve of or like or agree with. But Lord, no one, you more than anyone, see the ills of our culture and our society. You also see the good things. And so Lord, help us not to see only the bad, but may we see the good Lord, there are people that still want to live for you. There's folks that still want to hear the truth. Lord, may we not get caught up in all the bad and uh, and all the, the change that's coming that seems to be somewhat negative. Lord, may we focus our attention on the fact that, Lord, you're still on the throne and you're still in control and that we are more than conquerors and that we can have victory in our lives if we'll focus our attention on you and your word. Father, help us, Lord, just to remember we win. And not to be swayed emotionally with every up and down in the world, but to be solid and fixed on the foundation, the Lord Jesus. We love you now and we need you. And may we never forget that we win. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed, as we take a moment to pray.